It doesn't take a genius to realize the directorial eye of Honda, the increasingly amazing effects of Subaraya, and the soundscape of Ifukube are enough to make a film a classic. But throw in a giant monster, and now you have a film that has earned its place in Kaiju Aiga history. This is Kaiju versus History, The Mysterians. Never been more excited to get back to Japanese monster movies than I am today. Uh, I, mean, I, I feel that that way like every week. I'm like the excitement grows more and more the more time we spend with some of these these kinds of American sci-fi films. I should say it's just so interesting. The 50s is if we're talking about you know just giant creature features is inundated with uh, American films, but it is very nice every other year <laughs> yeah, or every, every year Toho's putting out something. And uh, yeah, it's just like, I, I remember them. We've got another color Technicolor or, or Toho, Toho scope film. And this is, this is Kaiju vs. history. I'm Patrick. <laughs> I suppose we should introduce ourselves and uh, <laughs> Start not great this week. <laughs> Helping me dig into the kaiju cinematic past is my partner in kaijuology, Professor Miles. Miles, how are you? I am great. I am I am very, very excited to be getting back to some of these. I mean, kind of the reason for the season with, with us doing these. And, well, and also yeah. just be returning to a film directed by Honda. Because mm -hmm. this is one before we started doing the podcast I had never seen before. Yeah, I, I've only seen it for the first time this year, and I mean, we'll talk about, but criminally, it's kind of difficult to find. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we've, we've mentioned before how, I mean, a lot of Honda's non-Godzilla films are nigh impossible to see in the West, and even, even some like this one, which at least is tangentially related to the Godzilla franchise, because the creature here will appear in some fashion, spiritually, later in the franchise mm -hmm. it, yeah, they're, they're, this one's still hard to get i mean yeah you can find it online in like the internet archive and some old dvd copies that are you know yeah there was it was part of like a collection i think maybe with h man and, and some of other honda films but i don't think there's a current one in print obviously and i don't know if there's plans to i would love to see a re-release like a special edition kind of thing with the original Japanese. I don't, I'm not sure in my research while we were doing for this episode, I don't know if I saw a physical release of the I mean, I guess there must have been of the American version of the film. There were two translations, one for the 58 or 59 American release, and then there was another translation done later on for, yeah, 1959 was RKO Studios I think release of the film and let's see yeah it's it's hard to see a, about actual official releases i want to say there I think was a to vhs release i want to say toho is the only one that have put out dvds and it looks like a blu-ray in 2010 but i don't think there was any in our region unfortunately yeah it's 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 a bummer and I, i'm hoping you know with 
especially after the massive popularity of a lot of, of K-pop and, and Squid Games and the <laughs> kind of re, re-ignition of interest in Godzilla, where you see mainstream audiences embracing other other stuff, you know, s- a subtitled stuff from, from Korea, from Japan. I'm hoping with places like Criterion getting all of the rights in a row for releasing an entire set of, you know, Godzilla Showa era and Arrow getting all the rights in a row to release the entire franchise of Gamera on, on Blu-ray, that we will see those doors and maybe some more boutique uh, DVD and Blu-ray companies kind of snatch up some titles like this. Um, yeah, this this one seems like a no-brainer. And and we'll, of course, talk about the, the film itself. I do want to talk about this is our last movie in 1957 to, to come out for, we're doing this podcast chronologically, but if you can believe it or not, the last five episodes, so like a month and a half of this podcast, has been 1957. So along here with the Mysterians, that's six movies in total. And we've got this Toho Monster Tentpole coming out on December 28th. But before that, three giant American bug films, a huge, amazing, confused man, and one lovable, goofy-looking space bird. It was beginning to feel like this was 1957, the podcast. I <laughs> I was starting to kind of, I felt like I was stuck in limbo. And I'm glad we're finishing out the, the out that year with this film. Yeah, because we're, we're lucky that, I mean, Toho mostly puts out their kind of big tentpole films in the, the end of the year, usually before Christmas, but it's just usually that that week or, or two weeks that the, the uh, basically all of Japan kind of shuts down for holiday celebrations um, I, I would assume that makes i mean 1957 unofficially one of the bigger years in in monster movie cinema <laughs> so i i was surprised yeah so six films on our list and you know there actually might have been more we will talk when we wrap up the 50s decade about movies we're not adding on to the list for whatever reason but the next year that will have more films doesn't happen for nearly a decade, if you can believe it or not, after this until 1966. And that might be the we'll get to it <laughs> next season here in the 60s, but that might be the biggest year for Kaiju ever. So finally topping 1957, because that movie, you've got the Daimajin trilogy starting. You have a Gamera film, a Godzilla film that came out. and then. I think there's also another Toho release as well. I want to say maybe War of the Gargantuas or something like that. But beyond that, we have Subaraya starting up Ultra Q and then Ultra Man in the same year, which is impossible that so much came out then. But until then, like I said, that's about a decade away. This is the height of uh, kaiju, you know, giant monster movies of of the fifties, and I mean the the film we we have to talk about tonight is crazy. It is a crazy yeah. <laughs> fever dream of of filmmaking that we get to as kind of the peak of this decade. I would say not not necessarily thematically, as obviously. Gojira 1954 is probably the watershed moment in, oh, a- in the cinema. Absolutely. 
but speaking of that, as we're getting into 1957's The Mysterians, you know, we've got not only the creative team for the original 54 Godzilla, but all of the principal cast as well. And I mean, mm-hmm. boy, howdy, what a difference that makes from the last few American films we've watched. Yeah, I'm trying to. Th- I, I mean, obviously, there are some some good actors and we, we've talked about how they've gone on a lot of them to do american tv shows and not just like oh here's a season or two but like 500 episodes so i mean these are actors with chops in the american films but i mean talk about staying power in the cinema almost all of the cast here of the mysterians we'll we'll talk about in greater detail are in nearly every other (laughs) ashira honda kaiju film a lot of them also worked with the master akira kurosawa in in many of his period piece films uh, it's it's a huge cast it's massive yeah i i feel like it, it felt like whiplash watching this film it, it, and not just in terms of quality but just in terms of of storytelling and yeah i'm used to like there being you know a couple of main cast members and then there's a bunch of basically background characters where here you have essentially an ensemble mm-hmm. and an ensemble who are, you have a number of characters who you could call are, are at least shared main characters. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like with this one, this is, I don't know, I, I want to wait till we get we actually get into the movie. We need to talk a little bit about the film itself. But I just, I, I'm just very, very excited to, to, to talk about a movie that isn't just toilet water. <laughs> it isn't just a American slapdash kind of thrown together. I mean, there are parts of the Mysterians that do feel thrown together but they're oh, the, this is by no means a perfect film and you'll hear that in our ratings but yeah there there there's a notice i've i've mentioned this several times but there's a noticeable difference in how the sci-fi seems to be from what we have watched constructed here at at this point in time and you know i i, I don't know the the actual film scene in japan in the 50s i don't know if they had uh, I don't know if drive-in culture was as prevalent a thing as it was in the States where, you know, most of the movies we watched are being dumped on the drive-in. They're not going to your, your, mm-hmm. your town's one theater or the town overs one little, not even a multiplex, but just the, you know, their paramount screen, you know? Yeah. Right. And so I, 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 that's largely what factors into the types of movies we've been watching is they, they were movies that were, that were meant to be on the drive-in circuit and usually just dumped in there to get teenagers to come. Whereas I feel like I don't know if that was ever a, a big cultural thing in Japan and Mysterians definitely does not feel like a drive-in. Movie. No, no. Uh, I mean, with a lot of the, the Toho, uh, you know, kind of large science, science fiction tentpole films that would, that would come out in December. Those are movies that, I mean, sometimes they would only start in, in Tokyo, but, I mean, like the American distribution method that that started here in the 50s, it was going everywhere across the country. And it was to to get a, a, a little spoiler for how well it did it in, in, in theaters. It was one of the, I think, top three earners for Toho that year and one of the top 10 grossing films in Japan. So, I mean, definitely, definitely high up there as far as film releases go you know obviously they would have 
preferred to have it be the most popular. It, it seems like it was going for that kind of blockbuster feel of the day, but they they did very well with the Mysterians. And this is what Ajira Honda set out to, to do. We, we talked about a lot about his biography. You know, he wanted to get something that stood apart from both Godzilla and Rodan. And his original script, as part of that, I don't believe had Mogera in it, which is one thing we'll we'll talk about, but does have just about everything else. Like all the other elements are things in the script that he brought to the table, you know, from kind of this huge battle at the end, the, the spaceships, the flying saucers, the natural disaster element of it. I don't know if he... He was in charge of the costume design, but if he was, he should be given <laughs> mad credit for that oh. as well. Oh, yeah. Well, well, we'll talk about that and the influence that has on future science fiction yeah. uh, Japanese shows. Uh, but before we get further in talking about the Mysterians, Patrick, I want you to break down as as you always do and tell us what's in a title. Well, uh, not that much here in the US where the Mysterians came from as a title I couldn't tell you exactly that is the name that the English dub I I guess has given the aliens in the film the original Japanese title was Earth Defense Force which is a I mean thematically for what Ashura Hunter was doing that is a great title I it's also one they use pretty frequently in this, not just the Godzilla franchise, but in uh, Japanese sci-fi. I mean, there's a, there's a, mm-hmm. I think a video game series called Earth Defense Force. Yeah. And that is kind of leads into what the, the nation of Japan was able to make the, the JDF, you know, their equivalent of armed forces after uh, America left and, and was no longer you know, like their major protector militarily. And this is an idea, obviously, of like a a coalition force, kind of like a United Nations armed forces. And we see that in the film of all uh, the the nations coming together to to face the foe and help out Japan against the Mysterians. But yeah, Earth Defense Force is a good title. It (laughs) maybe isn't catchy enough for a lot of the releases that would come after, especially I think after they they translated the film because we got a lot of different titles from, from all around the world, which were, were very fun. Germany had space beasts. I, I suppose referencing the, the aliens in, in the film and Brazil had the barbarians invade earth. So talking about the quote unquote Mysterians, some movies called the Martians. So Greece, it was called Mars versus earth in France, prisoners of the Martians and yeah, in general, we had a whole bunch of different ones. They re-released the movie in the 70s in Japan, and there was a reissue in Germany that called the movie Phantom 7000, which also that's a pretty cool. Title. I, like, I like I dig that as well. <laughs> the extraterrestrials, the unknown mysterious strangers it has about a dozen different names around the world, which is interesting because sometimes when a specific title like Godzilla King of the Monsters becomes popular. That's what kind of influences what it's called when it is distributed elsewhere. But this movie in particular, if, if you go up and look on IMDb or um, Wikipedia, it does have uh, a lot of different names. And I don't know if I prefer any one over the other. I 
definitely don't love the Mysterians itself, though, as it's definitely not my favorite. I so when I think of 50s sci-fi and some of that, your typical kind of sound. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think of a title like the Mysterians. I it does evoke mm-hmm. that kind of thing, and and what I like about some of the kitschy fifty sci-fi, and so I, I don't hate the title. I mean, Earth Defense Force is pretty great. I'm I'm, I'm a fan of that one. Most of these, I mean, most of them are fine. So, like, Mysterious Strangers, Space Monsters is not great, but Phantom Seven Thousand is pretty awesome. Even the extraterrestrials works, but. Uh, the Mysterians does sound pretty fun. I, I, it's, yeah. it's not their best title, but it's certainly not their worst. So it, in the film, they come from like a planet or asteroid. Mysterioid. M- Mysterioid, yeah. Which is, of course, a, a combination of, of asteroid and, and mystery. And that is, I think, a direct translation from the Japanese script. Uh, Misutere and Asteroida for, for mystery and, and asteroid. But I, I mean, my Japanese is is definitely not good enough to hear them like say it in the original. If you can obviously find this in the original Japanese, while uh, while also reading the the subtitles at the same time, they don't they don't call themselves that very often. I guess more of the human characters have you know when they have a name for them, but right. So yeah, that's that's the the title of this film and. As I said, this is a movie that Shira Honda wanted to make to kind of set himself apart from just making giant monster kaiju films. And I think it's a success because it's really not a kaiju movie in our definition of the the phrase because right. it doesn't focus on the kaiju as, as the threat. It does set up something we're going to see in a lot. Yeah, maybe, they, maybe the majority of the 60s kaiju films, which is like an alien force as the actual threat, and then just kaiju fighting <laughs> amongst humans and aliens. I, I definitely think outside of having a giant robot or a mech, which we are not largely doing mech movies unless they are tangentially re- like related to kaiju films. But I think yeah. for the same reason we did some of the, the pre-K films that we did, this like you you had touched on establishes so many tropes and so many conceits that will be used throughout actually from here on in, in, as far <laughs> as we know that are going to be used in not just the Godzilla franchise but kaiju cinema in general this mm-hmm. has a massive influence on science fiction and 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 the type of stories that are told on screen so i i definitely think that while yes magura is Essentially, he's not even, you know, he's a mech, but he's I don't think he's even as aware as some of the other mechs we'll see later in. in like, like he's not like, you know, Gigan, who is uh, some sort of cybernet creature. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think they or it rather. It's, there's no gender to Magira. <laughs> yeah, very much a, a robot it mecha but i don't think they ever show that there's like a pilot to magera so it does feel uh, you know similar to later incarnations of of mecha godzilla where it's like a self-aware its own kind of thing as opposed to a piloted mech which is right obviously a huge genre in, in japan that we can't get into just because like i said there's one million animes and and mangas and things like that but yeah this is also the 
first Toho film to introduce an alien race in the Mysterians. And it introduces some technology as well. I want to say some of like the, the, the weapons that the earth defense force kind of puts forth comes back in, in other movies, like their, their laser weaponries and, and things like that. I don't know if it has the same name, but it feels like it's the same universe of props that super Raya puts together to that, that the earth defense force takes and, and takes on the Mysterians dome at the end of the movie. So yeah, let's, let's get into a little bit of the background of this film, because, you know, a lot of people love to put this idea that, you know, in the same way that we pick apart 1954's Godzilla about being about the, the, the nuclear age, people like to look at this film as some sort of analog to talking about maybe foreign invaders seeking to mate with native women or, you know, putting that on any sort of invasive force or uh, perceived invasive force. And yeah. I, I think what's interesting about this, and, and you made note of this, uh, Patrick, I, I don't feel like this specific movie is talking about that in particular, as, at least as an analog to what's going on in the world. Yeah, I, I definitely think consciously or, or subconsciously, Ashira Honda makes political films and does so in a way that, I mean, people are okay very much consuming them and and thinking about them, but also, you know, turning off their brain and enjoying as, as a movie, because you have a very divisive, potentially political plot of these, these outside invaders coming, stealing land within Japan mm-hmm. and also looking to, you know, literally steal <laughs> the hearts and, and bodies of Japan's women. I, I don't think they were so concerned with the hearts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, we, we never get, I, I, I was when the first time I watched this movie, always waiting for the turn of like, and then they eat them or something, you know, terrible like that, or, you know, showing their treatment in some way, but it never gets that graphic in, in the movie that main plot of them having destroyed their own environment and thus needing to come to earth to use our resources, which unfortunately includes women to propagate their race is also a major thematic element of the movie of like, I mean, if this could happen to them, like how long before earth, you know, destroys its natural resources. And we're, we're the next Mysterians having to, to go to another planet and, and and do what well, they I, did. And I also think Honda and, and company were certainly informed by things that were going on in the world and things that had happened in World War II. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's making a specific commentary about any one particular thing saying this is the, the movie is about this thing. I think I think he's more making general sentiments with with the film. Yeah. Rather than saying this is about the comfort houses of Chinese women. And, you know, like he's 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 bringing up the the attitudes of how they're treating the Japanese, how the, how the Mysterians are treating Japanese women in this film. But he's not meditating on any specific thing, if that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense. And I don't know if I put this in in my notes when I was thinking about this. I don't think Mysterians are America. I don't think they're Russia or China or Japan, for that matter, because 
the point of the movie, and he he has said this like on record, is he wanted to show, and it's why he called it Earth Defense Force. He wanted to show like how coming together we can defeat the elements of you know what is basically kind of like a fascist, very brightly colored and and helmeted and caped group of technologically more powerful enemies. Mm-hmm. by you know banding together and it's the same way that people yeah, i did write it here in my notes uh we see that you know reviewers and critics and, and audiences think japanese films with these giant monsters they're always representative of one thing or another so godzilla is the atomic bomb but I don't think that's a, at all <laughs> what Shiro Hondo was doing. Godzilla is a consequence and in general, a consequence of the the age of nuclear proliferation and things like that. I think the Mysterians are kind of a consequence of their actions on destroying their their population or the I forget what they said happened to Mysterioid, but whatever happened, you know, they're consequences is they have to come to earth and they have to i mean I, they don't have to do it the way that they went about it but they they have to live with you know a small band of survivors and and go on to somehow get women to propagate their race yeah their their race it, it says in the the notes for the movie was contaminated with atomic waste basically strontium 90 and they have genetic mutations, so they need, you know, some they need to interbreed. And as gross as that is to talk about, it's really hard not to think about the the Ashira Honda's experiences in in China during during World War II and and the atrocities of of the war. But obviously, that's not exactly what he's talking about in the Mysterians. It is a, a general science fiction idea. And the best science fiction does this, it allows itself to be adapted into other ages and and things like that. But he made a a very positive film, in in my opinion, that showed, I mean, I mean, it showed something that didn't happen in Godzilla. Godzilla did not have the United States or other countries coming to Japan's aid, obviously again, kind of a political choice in, in some ways with what was going on in Japan at the time. And this is not that this is only three years after that, which is I mean, it's crazy to think Shiro Honda had a very, very busy three years between Godzilla and, and this because he also had like three other movies. But well, and yeah, and with with the production of this movie, it it does feel like I mean, the the culmination of a, a Shiro Honda's like presence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's probably the most Shiro Honda production of all time because. This has, I mean, we already mentioned Tsuburaya and Ikifube, the, the, the three kind of titans returning, but actors from all of the other kaiju movies leading up to this, Kenji Sahara, Yumi uh, uh, Shirakawa, both from Rodan, the, the leads in Rodan, of course, Akihiko Harata, Dr. Hirazawa himself playing uh, Ryochi in the film, who's almost entirely after the, the first time you meet him in that bicycle helmet was was his yellow yeah. it's it's difficult but along with him yoshio uh, shuchaya played the leader of the mysterians and he was you never see that actor's face which is huge because i mean he took a bit role in godzilla rates again but he was very popular 
actor and was the peasant farmer um, Rikichi in Akira Kurosawa Seven Samurai. But yeah, just like a lot of the actors from Kurosawa's films, they were willing to take bit parts to be in these these larger than life kaiju films. So he, you know, acted his heart out and he actually did a very good job. You can, you know, kind of tell that <laughs> that limitation made it so he had to, you know, he did some great like arm work, <laughs> throwing the cape and things like that <laughs> as the the leader of the Mysteriums. And last but not least, we've got Dr. Yamane himself, Takashi Shimura, playing a different doctor, completely different Sans mustache, I believe, Dr. Kenjiro Adachi. I mean, besides that, there's probably like a million other connections between this and Godzilla, Godzilla Reads Again, Rodan, <laughs> but all the main players are here. Yeah. And I mean, I, I feel like with this this kind of group, you're you're kind of I don't want to say destined to make a decent film, but with that much talent, it's kind of hard not to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk a little bit about before we get into the, the film itself, the 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 creature, uh, Magira, he was you know originally constructed as a living, breathing monster, but I think Honda was right in reworking it into a robot because you know, it, it was a way to further demonstrate the technological power of the Mysterians. And I think yeah. if you have a monster, because there is precedent later in the in the franchise of aliens using monsters as weapons. Oh, I mean, that's all they do in the, right. the 60s movies. So but I like the fact that they're like, no, we have an original robot that we are going to use. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The the designs that they they brought up for original Magira are cool. It's quadruped instead of a- an upright creature, which we'd already seen with Anguirus, but very similarly. He to, looks very Anguirus like. <laughs> yeah. Well, very similar to Gigan. It also had, I feel like some technological elements because there was still a nose drill and still a potentially like a buzzsaw kind of action like uh, Gigan will have on his back instead of his stomach but those those major details would eventually go on and be used for baragon in um, frankenstein conquers the world is that is that the english name for the movie yes <laughs> frankenstein conquers the worlds and then there's uh war of the gargantuans right right and instead we get a, a i think a very stylistic specifically tied to 50s design for Mogera. Mm-hmm. I don't love the trail that it has, <laughs> the like beeping uh sound that it makes, but you know the the laser eyes and and all the the rest of of its special effects that it's it's given is great. Yeah, I, I would agree the the the, the sound uh, of the creature wasn't wasn't the best. It wasn't as you know irritating as some of the bugs that we've had to endure. Oh, I'll take this over bugs any day. <laughs> or the the awful whatever it was that the, the deadly claw did. <laughs> so I yeah, I mean, while it's you know not my favorite, it's it's certainly still a respite. <laughs> yeah. The the thing is there's and I'll I'll talk about this. I don't think there's enough Mogera. We do see No, there's not. It destroyed basically, and then come back. So it might. It feels like there's like a second one immediately at the the end of the movie that kind of feels a little shoehorned in. The first appearance I think is great. I when I was watching 
you know, clips of this or the trailer before I'd ever seen the movie or, or really dug into this. I thought this was a 60s film. I thought this was a part around, you know, Planet X or or the 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 mid 60s Godzilla movies, because this really does look ahead of its time. And unlike all the other Toho 50s films, you've got these really elaborate aliens, these very stylistically thrown together costumes a lot of the tropes that you're going to see in the 60s movies we, we got here. I mean, that kind of become rote <laughs> for the script writing of the later 60s Godzilla movies, especially, but also almost all the, the Gamera, uh, later Gamera films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Aliens are always the actual antagonist. And then sometimes they turn Godzilla evil or sometimes they have their own monster and they just like put they throw Gamera into space or, or whatever. But yeah, this one just seems very ahead of its time. And it, it's another one of those, you know, just chalk it up to a Shira Honda kind of, I mean, really throwing everything at this movie. Yeah, this, this I would definitely say this is a trailblazing film. I, I think that there's mm-hmm. so much stuff done in this specific film that has a, no matter how you feel about the movie, the, the choices made in this film will have shockwaves felt throughout Kaiju cinema from here on out. Mm-hmm. I mean, which, you know, spoiler warning, you know, my my I thought very highly in terms of the, the cultural outreach of this film. I mean, even even someone like Kuichi Kawakita, who was the special effects director of the Heisei Godzilla series and the Rebirth of Mothra trilogy, said that this movie just excited him so much when he saw it in junior high. And mm. it's directly responsible for inspiring him to work in special effects. And, you know. When you think about the the effects that, okay, well, without that, you don't have some of the wild directions that the Heisei era goes in with Godzilla or the critical darling of the Mothra trilogy. I mean, that's that's the kaiju cinema of the 80s and 90s right there. Well, b- beyond that, this feels, I mean, besides the kind of like a peak of the 50s kaiju era, it also feels way ahead of its time for tokusatsu television as well because we oh, get these 100% amazing, we there yet. <laughs> amazing costumes and the form of the Mysterians in addition to the setting of the film which is uh, we do see some city destruction uh, it's more like village destruction I guess yeah but for the most part we have these lush green hills which you know are in a lot of 60s Godzilla movies but this great setting for the action which i feel like is <laughs> is very indicative of a lot of the the giant giant creature features of ultraman and things like that that you're you're going to see later on but yeah every time <laughs> a lot of the the sentai shows of the the 70s and things you know would would get in their mechs or have those kind of battles. It feels like that same setting that we, we saw here in, in the Mysterium. Oh, I mean, that is, that is absolutely true. I mean, and heck, I mean, we're, let's go ahead and say it. The Mysterians that look uh, had to directly inspire the, the, the go Rangers, <laughs> the, the very first sent, super Sentai team. Well, you've got uh, the primary colors on display, fully on mm-hmm. display here, yellow, red, and blue, not enough capes in in later Tokusatsu. I feel like the capes were a great design choice here in the Mysterium. Um, you 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 get some. They, I mean, I'm trying He's... to remember. My Sentai foo is is a little. It's been a long weekend. <laughs> um, Power Rangers Mystic Force. 
uh, I think it was Imaginer. I can't remember. They had capes and they looked amazing. And I, I, I definitely agree that we need more capes in our in our tokusatsu in general <laughs> because they're phenomenal. But I was I was going to talk about. I don't know if it's because you know we've been watching so much drive-in American sci-fi from the fifties, which is still mostly cheap and black and white, and then we get this very colorful movie i, I yeah. love the the shots of the the countryside and so even when it opens up you know they're going to this you know village festival and you have this, this flash fire attack and it's just this burst of fire and color and then even even just a short few minutes later when you start seeing the earthquakes I mm-hmm. mean, just the destruction of the blowing up the bridge looks amazing. Magira, when it pops out, yes, you know, it's a clunky looking robot from the 50s. But it's so good, though. They, they, I just love that the fact that, that Honda actually attempts a scope that most of these American movies that we have watched so far don't, don't try. And for me, it feels like there's almost a, a feeling of embarrassment in these American giant bug movies that's absent in their Japanese counterparts. Like Honda is not embarrassed to be making science fiction. He may like to be recognized for stuff that he was doing outside the genre, but everyone here seems to be wanting to make a science fiction film. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that effort, no matter how much it succeeds or doesn't to you as a viewer, I feel like that effort is, is noticeably there. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a, a film produced by uh, Tomoyuki Tanaka, who I believe is one of the main forces that got Mogira into the movie. I'm not sure at what point during production it was suggested, and but they they brought up those like initial designs and then eventually settled on the the mecha. Oh, who else do we we have to announce? Akira Watanabe is is the production designer, I believe, for the film, along with uh, Taraki Abe who you know were in charge of of making the suits making the ships the models and things like that and working with uh ej subaraya for for these amazing special effects scenes many of which i feel like there's you know this is their version of of doing homages to 1953's war of the worlds and some other big budget color science fiction films surprisingly this was not uh, as appreciated when it, it came to the United States in I believe I said 1959 and the garish colors were poo-pooed which I just it's so I mean it makes no sense to me <laughs> even watching this 64 years later <laughs> somewhere in there it is it's a delight and maybe it's just because I've also come off of watching five black and white films but the the Toho scope, the wider aspect ratio for for this movie, it, it it's one of those things that you can't really describe. But I imagine seeing that on the big screen, it gives it a different weight than watching it on your you know small computer screen or, <laughs> or your phone, believe it or not. And it was done to really hammer hammer in those effects where you could be watching this huge screen and all of a sudden there's three alien spacecraft that come in on the right and on the left side you have a very large dome and in the foreground 
a an amazing model tank that like rolls up on the scene. Uh, so many of those like action shots towards the end are are so dynamic. They they really outdid themselves with with a lot of those later scenes. Sp- speaking of which, why don't we we talk about our our favorite scenes of the movie? There's there's a lot to to pick from here. There's not really a slow point. Yeah, movie, let, you know? let's also give a. I mean, we we've kind of danced around it. But let's give a, a general kind of plot overview. Outline. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you have you have these these you know strange occurrences happening. Uh, a flash fire interrupts this village festival. You have your kind of four main characters. You have mm-hmm. obviously the the astrophysicist Reichi uh, Shiryashi and his fiance, as well as his sister Atsuko and his friend Joji, who he's trying to kind of get them together. But Joji just seems yeah. completely kind of in his own world because he claims he has to stay in the village. He can't he can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. And so from here on out, you continue to have these natural disasters, and then. Finally, Mogira appears as the kind of reason for the season. And we get this, this introduction eventually of these alien, at first they're not inv- alien guests, let's mm-hmm. say. And they kind of map out their the reason for being here, if if you you will. And at first, like there 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 seems to be like, okay, we need we need a little bit of land and we want to be able to cultivate our society for a little bit so that we can strengthen ourselves you know, um, perpetuate our, our species, mm-hmm. which at first you're like, yeah, I, I can see that. They're not asking for much. And then they end with also we Mysterians wish to mate with your earth women. <laughs> They're getting up from the, the table, you know, shuffling their papers. It's like, Oh, by the way, we just need like 10, 12 women. All right. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like trying to like, just like slide in a fast one real quick. And I mean, from there, you you kind of have the same reaction as to Gojira. You have the, this whole idea of like, how do we defeat this monumentally technological, te- technologically advanced people? Mm-hmm. And you, you have some things that that we'll see later in the franchise. You have, you know, Certain scientists being invited as guests to the Mysterians to kind of see what they have to offer, what where they've come from, what they've suffered through. We've already been through a nuclear war. We need to make sure that doesn't happen to your planet. So there's a there's a little bit where you're kind of like, well, I can, I can see the color jib, but this being a Japanese science fiction movie <laughs> in, in the kaiju genre, it, it, well, one of the plot elements that uh, you kind of glossed over here is. They release Mogera to make it apparent that they're extremely technologically advanced, but the military ends up destroying Mogera. Yeah, that's so it's like, it's like Mogera well, gets like stuck in a ditch and then yeah. blown up. <laughs> yeah, what they blow a bridge out from underneath him and he's he needs a life alert button. He's fallen, he can't get up. Why would that? I mean, I think it's part of the fact that Mogera was written in perhaps afterwards. Why would they be scared of that? I mean, I guess he does come back, so maybe they have just like a bunch more they could send out. But yeah, I don't quite understand that that plot element. I mean, I think the original idea probably sure Honda had here was they're causing these natural disasters. So it you know there it's no use to use nuclear weapons against the Mysterians because you're just going to be destroying your own country or your own land. And we can also destroy your land. We can make these floods and, and landslides and things happen. So it's a little muddled, I, I will say, but I, I mean, I'm not coming to this kind of movie for its, 
<laughs> intricately well paced and plotted uh, storyline. Well, not just that. I think that I think it's really fun. I I also like the fact that we have fully fully, but we have fleshed out characters. We have actual characters, and yes, mm-hmm. you know the main characters are scientists, as tends to be the case. If you're not a scientist, you're probably a reporter of some kind. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I I feel like all these characters, you know, they have motivations. They have other things outside of what's going on. They want to do, although sometimes the way they deliver some things, like. When he's telling his his girlfriend about what's going on, he goes, brace yourself. They want to mate with the women of Earth. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, there would have been a better way to put that. There's got to be a little bedside manner. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, but the, the most unrealistic element of this, if, if this snazzily dressed aliens came to Earth and wanted uh, women, there would be like tons of volunteers. They'd be like, "Yeah, let's go." Yeah, I want, I mean, I want, I want the red caped one. If we learned anything about about pop culture in the last sixty years, especially in the last thirty five, it's like, yeah, they, they, there'd be no problems whatsoever. <laughs> I'm going to bag me a a blue helmeted <laughs> suitor. <laughs> the, um, the I, I mean, the fact that they're like, uh, you know, stealing them obviously, but uh, would probably be a, a large turn off <laughs> to, to right. some. But all they got to do is make a dating profile and get a couple of shots on a chaise lounge in that cape and helmet, just like fist under your, your chin. Like, hello, I, I like setting robots loose on the countryside, causing flash fires to occur during <laughs> right. festivals. And I'm also a, a Pisces. Um, <laughs> and I must no. destroy Earth. <laughs> oh, that, that's such a Scorpio attitude. Outside of the base plot, which is what we get, the, I mean, basically your main thing is that mm-hmm. they have a a force field that's completely impenetrable, and we are trying to figure out how to get past that. Yes, and extremely and, destructive weapons, which they do end up showing. Obviously, Megara has laser beam eyes or <laughs> whatever. Well, yeah, uh, on top of that, you have the Markalite cannons, which is something that is uh, used right. in. Honestly, more often in the video games, uh, including the most recent Godzilla mobile game, Godzilla Battlelines, which I actively play, the Markalite cannons can be very, very useful. Yeah, you've got those, and those feel those are the ones I was saying kind of feel like the precursor to what are they called? I can't I can't remember like the M rays or or other weapons that we'll we'll see in in Godzilla movies. Oh, a hundred percent. Later on, uh, like I said, there's so many things in this movie that feel really, you know, like it's a, a progenitor to a lot of those '60s movies to come. And, and in terms of like, I think what I I I love in this movie is that that specific like kind of battle where you have the the destruction and the melting of the tanks. I think it looks really cool. I think the special effects in this film, I mean, just, they just look so impressive. And the the la- the landslides looked great. The model work is excellent. All of the special effects just look really solid, no matter how goofy you might think that these um, pre-Power Rangers look like. <laughs> the you And this movie's wacky. You have this one dude dressed up like Humphrey Bogart just messing up the Mysterians. Like, Joji just decides, I'm going to dress in a <laughs> trench coat and just wreck things. I don't understand this, but I love it as a choice because I'm just like, what, what is happening right now? Yeah, I, I do like the setup of our our favorite Dr. Sayurizawa. Uh, Ikihiko Harata as like first going over to to their side 
and then having kind of like the redemption moment at the end of the movie, they set up so many interesting things. And and maybe one of the reasons it doesn't feel (laughs) like a kaiju film is because there is such a focus on those characters and the other elements of the story besides like, how do we deal with the destruction? How do we stop the destruction? Those kind of things. So it, uh, it does, it does a lot that, I mean, I don't know how long Magera is on screen. It feels like maybe five minutes of the movie though, like between five and 10 minutes. I, I feel like the other action sequences might, take up a little little more time yeah i mean i think with this one what for what doesn't work for me is like we mentioned before that this film is political but it's not specific i feel like the the political themes in this one are handled just a, a little bit more clumsily like there is that general sense of like yes people of earth need to come together and then we can solve all of these the problems of humanity and the crises that humanity itself is going to have to endure but it doesn't the narrative doesn't always kind of land that that statement for me it comes off a little heavy-handed in in how it's presented and it never feels really satisfying in the way that gojira does yeah uh, just some some notes we're, we're moving so fastly through this episode the canon i was thinking of is not the emory is the maser canon this feels like a kind of progenitor the to the the masers that we'll see later on in in both show and heisei but mm-hmm. and the, we also didn't mention or i forgot to mention momoko kochi who plays the main love interests love interest in this film i believe sahara's love interest in uh, one of the four main characters we meet at the very beginning of the movie but she was last seen in godzilla as uh kochi oh yeah right so my favorite scene in the movie for <laughs> for moving on with this like i said would normally be the introduction of mogera and you get to see him blasting through mm-hmm. a a mountainside and interacting in a way very similar to the the beast from 20,000 fathoms like with the police are shooting at them and there's there feels like interaction between the military and the monster which is really nice and obviously they destroy it but as great as that was doesn't feel like the main thrust of the film and i think it's that first time that we get to see the main characters go inside of the mysterian's dome and meet the leader and things that is is probably my favorite part of the movie it's it's one of those things that if you want to get a single like image from the the film in your mind like that's the one that really stands out like <laughs> seeing them in all all those amazing primary colored costumes and not seeing their face is is what's i mean it's a really strong choice obviously mm-hmm. and it, it builds up a lot of their 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 mystery and and, and menace in in a very simple way did you have a, a favorite scene single scene in the film I, I probably the like i was talking about earlier just just i love that kind of comeback battle right, uh, right where right. you have the the mark like cannons and the tanks and and the whole bit with the ship and getting that that force field down like all of that just it felt so exciting it was very kinetic mm-hmm. i felt like there was a real attempt to make the stuff feel like it was actually happening as opposed to this is filmed on uh, a plane set 
and mm. we will have some rolling stuff. This this actually they even if it doesn't always work, they they really attempt to make these things feel like they're you're you're seeing it on screen. And I appreciate that very, very much. Yeah. We we get Mogera coming back and taking out, I think, a Markalite cannon in one of those scenes. But they, they have two of them. It's just like, well, we need a backup kind of thing. Or I think they they say they, they'll need to, to to do enough damage to the the dome, to the force field. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like like I said, very, very dynamic action. I I think a lot works in this movie because it does feel like they threw everything, including the kitchen sink into it. The kitchen sink being Mogera. He is like the one extra thing that kind of puts the movie over for me. And we'll talk about this. It's sequel, quote unquote, spiritual sequel after this. But yeah, because they just take so many great elements and they they wrap it up in a very colorful package while the legacy for this film is in the United States, not as big as Godzilla or Rodan. I, th- I feel like in intensity <laughs> of the, the filmmaking that this does stand with Ashira Honda's other major movies of the 1950s. Yeah, I, I definitely don't. I definitely don't think it's as strong as as Gojira. I, I do think it, it could probably stand toe and toe with with Rodan. Yeah, yeah, I would say they're. They're both up there for, I mean, I, I just, I, I like how different all three of those movies, Gojira, Rodan, and, and the Mysterians really are from one another, but. No, and I, I think if, if I, you know, I was forced to, to kind of, you know, rank them, I would probably put it right behind Gojira. I think, I think I liked it a little bit better than Rodan in terms yeah. of just personal enjoyment. I think it was paced better. I think that this movie does go on at a pretty decent clip. I feel like the, the. The plot is at least interesting, if not outlandish. I mean, there's some silly stuff, but it works. I think because the movie is dedicated to its film, it does not, it, it doesn't feel embarrassed to be what it is. And it also, you know, they're, they're trying to tell a story. They're trying, mm-hmm. they're trying to deliver a, a good film. And that is evident here. Whereas a lot of times, you know, it feels like we're trying to hit a, a deadline so we can get this drive-in date. <laughs> at this place, you know, it, it, over in the States. So I, I, I feel like that kind of dedication to to the filmmaking and storytelling is much more evident here, and, which is why I also look much more fondly at this movie than I do some of the other stuff we've been watching. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. It It's one of the things we, we've talked about that even in quote unquote bad kaiju movies, if you can tell that there is a steady hand in the in the special effects department or the director's chair that cares about putting forward a, a film that it can, you know, transform it in a way. And obviously there are elements of this movie that didn't really click with American audiences when it was brought over, when it was dubbed originally for the 1959 release, but it did very well in Japan. It was released December 28th, 1957 in Japan. And it actually was so popular that what 21 years after that, it was re-released in 1978. And even today, like, I feel like if you go onto Toho's website or, you know, those helmets and the capes, like the, the iconography of this film persists to this day. I, I, I can't believe we've not seen the Mysterians like 
return in the I, other eras of the I film. Am, I am also shocked that we, I mean, we, get, saying, we get Mogera, but we don't get the Mysterians, which is like, what? And we get, we get some spiritual successors, especially like Invasion of the Astro Monster. Yeah, that but, one. And we have, you know, a very <laughs> stylistic alien race in that film as well, but nothing matches this, the tricolor yeah, I, capes. I'm not saying I needed Godzilla versus the Mysterians, which essentially is what Invasion of the Astro Monster is, but it would be, it would have been very cool to see them make some appearance, especially in the Heisei era, maybe instead of, you know, or even like Maybe instead of Godzilla versus Megarius, we could have gotten some sort of Mysterian related story. I think, um, yeah, if they had control over Space Godzilla, that would have elevated that film. And you put it in the same universe where they they already attacked in like the 1950s. So they have to, instead of reworking Mecha Godzilla's remains, they dig up Mogira and turn it into the new Mecha for the uh, Japanese Defense Force or something it, along those it lines. It would have been fun. Like, I appreciate, I love what Ryuhei Kinemura did with Godzilla Final Wars. Yeah. And he used the the, the Zillions or Exilians. Yeah, uh, and at, which... At, which is fine. It's great. It would have been cool since we're celebrating the 60th, or at the time, 50th anniversary of this kind of Toho franchise. It would have been a cool deep cut to to put a Mysterian in there in some capacity. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So, yeah, th- this movie wasn't super popular here, as as Patrick said, and I don't really need us to to read the the reviews because I just it just annoys me. <laughs> uh, but we did get a a sequel of sorts. There's a spiritual sequel that was released two years later in 1959 called Battle in Outer Space. And it has some characters from the first film, but most of them are played by different actors and features a, honestly, not the Mysterians, but a new invading alien alien race, the Natarls, who obviously they have a war with humanity in outer <laughs> space. And yeah, there I think was going to be a, a third one, but that was changed to a standalone film, I think. Yeah, I think they were supposed to be the Mysterians first. But but it's, it's so crazy. I, I can't believe they, they still don't have like kind of sequels down. Well, and uh, what's wild to me is Battle in Outer Space, super easy to get here. It's on Blu-ray yeah. in two different releases. And I mean, one, I'm looking on Amazon right now. It's $12.99 for a sci-fi double feature by Mill Creek, The H-Man and Battle in Outer Space on Blu-ray. And... I'll, I'll, it's, it blows my mind that we can't. I'm going to put the the blame directly. Uh, you wanted to skip over this this New York Times review from from Howard Thompson. Uh, yes, <laughs> I do. I don't is, want to give Thompson his day. He's probably dead. One, two. It's I. I'm so enraged by it because it's it's yeah. such a a terrible <laughs> American first way of thinking. But the the main point it, it's is it's also someone who clearly does not like science fiction. Oh, it's it's it, it makes no sense. He, the the first sentence, according to the Mysterians, enemies from outer space will probably blast Tokyo before visiting us. It's like, well, what do you want to be attacked first? Does America have to be attacked first in every movie? And uh, this this sentence from from the review, the Mysterians, cool cats who had their own hydrogen bomb during our Stone Age, speak perfect English. Well, I mean. <laughs> Do you, have you ever seen a movie? Do we want a 20 minute 
translation sequence in a visored getup, not unlike Jack Haley's Tin Woodsman costume in The Wizard of Oz, they manage to make a heck of a racket before slithering back to Planet Five. I hated this review. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's reviews like these that probably help to make it so this film is doesn't have a legacy that much here in the United States. I believe it was brought over, as I said, by RKO and became a B feature for for another film. And maybe people just didn't stay in the, the drive through through long enough to to really let it let it sink in. It's a shame because, like I said, yeah. it is fun. There's it really needs that criterion kind of power behind it. I think one of the reasons we, we've got this huge resurgence in love for Godzilla in the United States is because they they made that decision to add all the Showa era Godzilla to the Criterion Collection. We've gotten re-releases of a lot of those films, including the 1954 Gojira. But this one needs it. We need. <laughs> I want to find Mogira action figures and Funko Pops and things like that. So get on it, Toho. And <laughs> I think you can get Mogira figures, yeah, uh, in yeah, some well. capacity. And yeah, we, we do see Mogira again in uh, Godzilla versus Space Godzilla yeah. as kind of a uh, a ramshack rework of Mechagodzilla from a prior film. As much as uh, I, I just love to see him there. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't oh. look anything like Mega Godzilla from the previous movie. <laughs> well, also, uh, spoiler warning for when we get to it, he Boogier uh, is also largely effing useless. Well, yeah, um, he, he, he there is not an X two or X three craft in that movie. Mogera is basically the human controlled craft, so yeah. he's not he's not really even. Um, a sentient mecha in his own right or whatever. He's well, just kind of like a spaceship. Yeah, and what's wild about that version is, you know, it's got it's supposed to be like an anagram, and so they just made up stuff to to make it work with the name. Magira stands for, as the oh, acronym no. uh, stands for, Mobile Operation Godzilla Universal Expert Robot Aerotype. I hate it so much. <laughs> Why do you have to tell me that? I, I just call Magira. Like I enjoy <laughs> that movie, but yeah, that's that's so silly. <laughs> I I can't believe he didn't show up for. Final Wars, like he, he is not in that movie, correct? I do not believe so. It's in a movie I, I, where like every other <laughs> creature yeah. from the entirety of the franchise shows up. I'm uh, also surprised Magir doesn't show up again. And and this movie, you know, again, it may not have had a lot of popularity here, but it, te- it tends to be that these kind of films always strike a chord with musicians. And there was <laughs> a 60s garage rock band called Question Mark and the Mysterians. Yeah, and it's so funny because while I was doing research for for this episode, like that came up so often. If you Google the Mysterians, that that band does come up, and it, it is definitely like one of those one hit wonders. But <laughs> right, but they did have a hit, and they also had a, a a kind of a popular version of a "Can't Get Enough of You, Baby." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They they had some 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 record uh, time in the the sixties and and things like that. They they had a lot of air time on the the radio and yeah the 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 lead singer i guess the question mark of of the band did say it was obviously based on the 1959 american release of that movie that they got the, the which name is from. which is pretty cool and i mean that band their big song was called 96 tears and it mm-hmm. it appeared on the 2004 rolling stone list of 500 greatest songs of all time so i mean that it was a it was a big song at the time i'm not 
off the top of my head super familiar with it if you hear it you'll be like oh yeah i'm sure i will their their cover of i can't get enough of you baby is also really quite good yeah and i remember that i I know i've heard that but i I also love that bands like exist (laughs) so let's 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 get into our, our our personal reviews here right so we I mean, uh, the majority of the show, as you can tell, is obviously talking about the history, the production of the film. But we're watching them and we're rating them just to kind of see how the perception of these films changes many years after the fact in, in the case of these 50s movies. But also we're, we're looking at the movies chronologically so we can judge them in the group of their peers. So I'm not judging this movie, obviously, against 2014's Godzilla or... 1989's Godzilla versus Biollante. They're they're different eras, so we've we've kind of broken it down in decades. But we are looking at these movies with three metrics: personal enjoyment, technical, and aesthetic elements of the film, as well as it's the response it generates in the the medium and the the genre going forward and backward sometimes as a as a piece of art. So. We each score these individually. We don't talk about our scores ahead of the time. And then we combine them for a podcast score, an ultimate podcast score. And it's yes. probably one of the reasons we will very rarely have guests on this podcast because it would make the math very confusing to add more people into this. Uh, for me, personal enjoyment, this is a super watchable film experience. I feel like this is one of the fifties films I can most easily go back to because I mean, it's a popcorn flick, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the color and Toho scope kind of technical aspects make it very visually appealing. It really kind of makes me angry. I don't have a Blu-ray of this already. (laughs) And it makes me sad that we don't have films like them that we're planning to shoot in color going to, to black and white. The movie really soars by and you, I, I couldn't really guess where it was going. So it kind of has that Tarantino aspect to it where it's like, what is going to happen? <laughs> like it, it, it's unlike any other movie that really came before or after it. So I really enjoyed it. Probably one of the most watchable movies of the 1950s. I, I think I'd still probably want to rewatch Godzilla over this. But for me personally is an, an eight for enjoyment and watchability. Yeah, I so I, I skewed a little lower just because of where we've put some of the the prior eights, but I'm I'm with you. This movie is fully watchable. It's fun. I find the the special effects and the the characters interesting. I really, really just in, enjoy. This, like when I think about 50 sci-fi, like if you had asked me when this movie came out, and I just saw a, a clip of it. I would have said the late 60s, maybe even the early 70s. Yeah, I, yeah, I think totally. the quality of it is that vibrant and interesting. And I, I, it might be because we've watched so many uh, low-grade American bug films recently. But because of that and because of what we're comparing it to, this this does stand at, on, a, on a, a whole other level. And... Yes, it's it's a little clumsy in how it's delivering its its science fiction story, but it's still trying to do a really interesting story. It still delivers mostly everything in a satisfying way, and it looks really nice. I, I mean, I can't speak highly enough about the the kind of 
landslides and earthquake destruction sequences, they look really good. A lot of effort went into making this film and it really shows. And so I'm also giving it a seven because I don't think it sticks the landing on everything it does, but it does everything extremely adequately. And I, I, I find it yeah a little silly, but also extremely fun. So while it doesn't quite hit, you know, Gojira levels, it's certainly as enjoyable, if not much more so than Godzilla Raids again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for whatever reason, I, I definitely got to agree with you there. What what about the, the technical aspect, Mr. Subaraya's expertise? I, I also gave this a seven. I, I think there are some clumsy moments in some of the model work, especially as much as I enjoyed the, the attempt with the planes and some of the wire work looked a little awkward. But overall, I think they did a great job. Nothing was really setting the the mark here, but I, I was very, very impressed, as I said again, with the kind of destruction of landscapes. I, I thought that that aspect looked really, really good. And especially in this in this genre and the subgenre, it's not something you see look good very, very often. And a lot of times it's like, okay, I can see that that model got blown up a little bit here. It just, it looks good. Like if it looks like a landslide in an earthquake, they did a tremendous job with that. Some of the design work for the Mysterians and their stuff is very hokey. And that kind of knocks it down a little bit. I, I also think the script needed some, some fleshing out and, and tightening up in some other places. I think that all the stuff with Joji was not particularly well rounded. Mm. Especially when it's like, oh, he's he's betrayed the human race because he thinks that they're going to do the right thing. I, the, the whole thing just didn't quite work for me. Yeah, they're, they're plot elements that are a little contrived. I, I agree with you there. But I, it's, I, still, it's still got high marks. It's still a seven. Yeah. And I, I just went a little bit higher because once again, I got to make sure this is like at the top of the 50s list for me. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not worried about that at all. I'm sure it will be. Spoiler warning, this is the, the highest rated of 1957 for sure. But with, I mean, it feels like Subaraya is really pushing boundaries here. I did not give it as high as Mark says Godzilla, because obviously, I mean, Godzilla <laughs> and a lot of the effects there do, I feel like, outstrike Magera and some of his. But this is them in color, in a different format in a different setting and doing all new stuff. And I think it was a wise decision to, to put the the Kaiju in the movie and it helped really with the scale of the threat, the scale of these, these battles. So for a technical aspect, I'm giving this an eight out of 10, which I believe is both below Rodan and Godzilla, but it's still very high up there. So it's one of the, the benchmarks kind of of this decade mm-hmm. but sadly for me moving on to the kind of historical importance and the emotional aspects of this film does suffer a bit there as as far as kaiju goes uh, this does start a trend of movies that has an an inconsequential giant monster in them we'll see a few toho films and some others that will have just kind of tacked on creatures it happens a lot in, in Japanese cinema where, you know, Kaiju is just one of the, the threats that, that we're going to see, including other non Godzilla uh, films. 
and other Shira Honda films where it feels like he's telling a, you know, a, a much different story of like, say like a fantasy world under the ocean, but also we right. have to have a, a, a giant creature in there that the attacks the submarine, those kind of things. But yeah, I love Mysterians. I just think it's, it's legacy deserved more. And I wish we had gotten the the Mysterians themselves, those three colored uh, motorcycle helmet, stylish cape wearing aliens in other films. And and for that reason, I'm giving this final scoring in, in its kind of canon placing in, in kaiju films as is only a six. It deserves more, but it it didn't really, I guess, excite the the world to to get sequels that <laughs> bring back some of those uh, those design choices. So I, I went a little bit higher. I, I, I gave it an eight because I think that it may not have the cultural impact in terms of this started a whole movement or, you know, this is one of the best monster movies of all time. But mm-hmm. I think the story beats that it establishes for the the subgenre in in especially in Japanese science fiction and 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 kaiju films i i think the importance of how they establish these tropes cannot really be understated yeah you know in, in talking with or, you and, and or overstated <laughs> either yeah i i think it, i think it's very very important and yes we will still see other films utilize these tropes and utilize them much better but this movie especially given that it was popular in in its home country it definitely had an impact and especially hearing mm-hmm. from people who would go on to work in this franchise and deliver what some consider some of the best of the entire genre mm-hmm. with your, the, the rebirth of Mothra trilogy and some of the high say films. I mean, this movie absolutely had a cultural impact. It's a quieter impact. I, I will definitely say that much is why I give it a seven, but it still had, I, I think narrative, shockwaves that like as i said before that are still being felt today i I agree with that i understand where you're you're coming from and if you haven't told we haven't had the same score on on any of these (laughs) which makes sense but it does bring our final combined score to a seven which makes sense to me i do think it probably is a little bit better. We we gave Godzilla Raids again, also a seven, as well as Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. I feel like they're in the same range, but like I said, our personal enjoyment isn't the only thing that we we look at when we we're kind of rating these films as part of the podcast. So yeah, that is The Mysterians, a film that <laughs> some people might not consider a kaiju film. But because of the reasons, you know, we've we've been talking about, it's obviously one of those tangential and ancillary movies that is so important to the the 60s films that we're going to see going going forward. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. I'm very happy we chose to do this. I I am down for pretty much any Ishiro Honda film. (laughs) Well, spoiler warning. Most of his science fiction is on our watch list. Yes, there's there's a couple um, that we will we'll talk about in wrap ups as well. But yeah, but I, I'm I'm always I'm always happy to watch his stuff anyway. But yeah, I, I think that this. Well, yes, I agree. It does not feature a a specific kaiju, even though Magira, you know, it appears again in the, in the franchise. This this has enough 
of the DNA that we we had we absolutely had to talk about it. Yeah, and it, it it's I'll take any chance I can to to tell other people about this movie or, or watch it again. So I'm happy to do so. But Toho, let us let us here in America get a re-release. <laughs> let us get a yeah. Blu-ray, a remastered. Yeah, I, I need I need I need all of it. Please. But with a final scoring of of seven, yeah, we can close the book on. The Mysterians. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at Kaiju versus History. Email us with any comments, concerns, or Kaiju facts at Kaiju versus History at gmail.com. And go to Kaiju versus History.com to get ready for the next installment of our March Through the Annals of Monster Movie Mayhem. Um, thank you, Patrick, and thank you, listeners. And we will catch you next time. When hell hath no fury, like the hand of a gigantic woman scorned. That's right. Tune in next time for History versus the Attack of the 50 Foot Woman. Bom, 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 bom.